Welcome to Mystery of Sires and Apps. I'm Kevin Weir. I'm Aaron Weir, and this is a teen drama fan cast. Yes, and we are getting into one of those special big book versions of Archie comics. Where we have stories with both Betty and Veronica. Yeah, it's a good old classic double digest. Two main characters. Oh, <laughs> oh a, a phrase that when I just saw it on Archie's, like, the books, the Archie comics, I just sort of accepted it. But now that I think about it more, I'm not quite sure I actually know what digest means in well, the context of, like... Comic books? Each edition is a digest. Well, no, no. Yeah, but I'm wondering why that is the word. Hmm. Because digest, like... Yeah. Like, obviously, there's, like, if you just want to make guesses, there's connotations of, like, consuming something... Calling it a double digest, like I, I just I've never heard that, I think, outside the context of Archie comics, which makes me think it must be an old thing. Like it's gotta be I think it's an old term for like an, like an, an issue. edition. Yeah, an yeah. issue, yeah. because uh, like I mean, obviously the the digests were a collection of stories, but Archie's it aren't comic strips because sometimes in the double digest you have multiple page mm-hmm. comics. Well, all of them are multiple page. Like Archie I don't think was or maybe no, there some, were one Sometimes pagers. you'd yeah. have one pagers. Yeah. Um, um but daily digest is something. It is. And I think those are mostly the one pagers. And then double digest is where you might get a longer story. No, double digest is two characters. Yeah. Because the double digest ones always sense. had like Betty and Veronica or like Archie and Jughead. And there were comic books that were like, this is an Archie comic book. This is a Betty comic yeah. book. This is Josie and the Pussycat. So double digest is two characters. It's always weird. Well, and the thing is like they always had the feeling of this is a collection of stories that were published elsewhere. I guess really when I think about it, I don't know how Archie existed outside the double digest and like those books. I know how these is now because yeah. it's like comics. There's actually like comic know, books, life after Archie, yeah, like blah, blah, blah. graphic comic books. Yeah, but like the specific digest format format, I guess I never really thought about it that much. Well, this seems like some great short form content we should make to supplement this podcast. I we should look into it and inform people. <laughs> we can yeah, put maybe. it on TikTok. <laughs> The, the things that people want to learn about how comics are not now, but were then, and information such as that. Perfect title. Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, you know, what I do want to say about Riverdale this okay. season, before we like get into it, yeah. I really appreciate, and I'm genuinely saying this, Riverdale this season has made me learn a lot of things. Because things just keep coming up, and I'm like, I gotta look that up. I, do, I need to know more about that. I do like sometimes I make you learn things because they did it wrong, but they do make me want to feel like I want to look stuff up. Well, I question things. I question but things. a lot of the things they've been doing, they've, they've been doing right, and I'm like, Riverdale, huh. Riverdale makes me question things. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we got a lot more questions to ask because this is Riverdale Season 7, Episode 9, Betty and Veronica. Double Digest. Betty and Veronica, Double Digest. So Jughead, uh, having just recently learned about the death of his very recent father figure, Mm -hmm. is going to spend this episode just kind of grieving in Pops. They... Once again, going off the trend, they knew where this had to end, so they had to get Jughead in. He will give an opening monologue 
that I am not certain thematically how it leans into the rest of this episode. Yeah, no, he's definitely in a different episode of TV than oh, the rest yeah. of the characters. He's, Even he, though they do make Betty and Veronica each go to him for advice. Yeah, uh, he his monologue is basically about how, like, time and how when you're grieving, time can slow, slow down. Uh, and how, you know, there's a lot of clock stuff around him. This, Only him. This will not be thematically again. Because we'll go straight from him in a lead-in that's not a lead-in. To Betty in a session? Yeah, I guess Betty gets therapy now. Oh, I said therapy, but this doesn't... No one treats it like... No, she does call it therapy, I guess. She calls it therapy. Therapy for kids. Yeah, it's a session with a child psychologist. But anyway, it sounds like he's more of a... He's doing like the Freud cross examination thing. Uh, And... She gets a title card. I cannot, like, it says Betty, you know, in that old font. I cannot stress this enough. If this was the first season, this would so instantly clue me into, like, the vibes of this show. (laughs) If I'm like, oh, yeah, like from the comics, Betty. Veronica will get one later. Later. And we'll go back and forth between the two of them, just like we did in the comics. Betty would have a story, and then Veronica would have a story. Uh, But we're currently going Betty's story. So she's no longer... Gonna be part of the River Vixens. So I guess we have to assume that Betty was right last episode <laughs> when she said her mom would freak out when she found out that they were teamed up with boys. Yeah. Although what did what did Alice think cheerleading oh, was? No, Alice constantly making the wrong choice is so fun. Like it's <laughs> it's so fun. The thing about this like story and like all of these is that you kind of get this running theme of uh, and it fits with most of the parents of this idea of like. This is about how parents are trying to control their kids. You get it from Betty. Mm-hmm. Or you get it from Betty's parents. You get it from Veronica's parents. You, I, you, I, the only one I would argue, like, okay, you get it from Cheryl's parents. I yep. start with that one. Archie's is honestly a little bit um, I just, sketchy. I feel like the show, even though it's been years and years and years, yeah. still doesn't have a very good handle on Molly Ringwald Andrews as a character. Yeah, yeah. And so... It's like they don't know how to make her controlling, so then finally they're like, just get Frank back. <laughs> yeah, we'll use, we'll use Frank as, like, the bad guy, I guess. I mean, at least that way you don't have the uh, the problem that we kind of had at the beginning where it was just a whole bunch of bad mums. That's true. It is nice. It is good to, like, maybe put in one bad dad in there. <laughs> yeah. Though, I mean, because Hiram wasn't there in the first season. That's true. That's why, that's why I'm saying Yeah, that. no, it was. I was just thinking, I was like, are there, well, Hermione was good for a time until she got into the mafia. Well, I mean, yeah, but she, the first season was weird with their relationship. Uh, but this isn't really about that. This is about. Uh, How Betty can't cheerleading, cheerlead, because cheerleading is too sexy. Yeah. She's too close to boys. Yeah. So Werther's is, and her are going to have like, really like a conversation. Um, and he's criticizing a whole bunch of like well, why are you so uh highly sexual and she's like well school is highly sexual and he's like no it's not i, w- I would argue that she she does talk a bit like an adult like how when we talked about when veronica did it oh yeah i will give her a pass because her entire arc is that she found a sex book so well she's there are well educated on this specific yeah, topic. so well there are times where she's a bit too much in that way. It's a, there's enough of an explanation. That I'm like, yeah, she she read the book. Well, and Lily Reinhardt does play it like she is parroting things that she read. Yeah, that she has been like puzzling through and thinking about. I mean, she even directly references the book, so like that's pretty good. Um, 
I also like how this scene kind of punches the double standard that we saw before deeper yep. and a bit more subtly that when, <laughs> that when Betty walks in a room and everyone goes boo and then Archie walks into a room a second later and everyone goes yay. <laughs> bit on the nose. Yeah, but, th- this explores it a bit more. But like this one has like Werther's being like, well, Betty, you you stripped for your neighbor's pleasure. And I'm like, I would argue she also stripped for her own pleasure too because yeah. Archie was there. And when you think back on it, like both Betty and Archie were punished in a sense, but Archie got a, hey, it's perfectly normal, but you're getting distracted by women. And Betty got a, you're a sexual deviant who needs therapy. And we're going to tell everyone what you did. Yeah. Uh, I can, and I know someone might argue this. Yes, I understand that Betty kind of escalated, but you... Her, she, first, her first punishment was still more of a punishment than Archie that's got. That's the thing. She only escalated because she was disproportionately punished. Yeah. And I know they're different parents, but they're also all fictional characters. I, I, need, to just, and, I need to just bring that up. And <laughs> we're not saying that this is bad TV. No, we're no. just saying that the Coopers are bad parents. Yeah. And they're showing that pretty well. Uh, um, what is interesting is the first question after Werther's goes on about how high school is safe mm-hmm. is he asks Betty what her first sexual memory is, and she remembers seeing Archie playing Operation and thinking he's cute. When they're like 10? I You know, it, it's impossible to tell because it's not the same actress who always plays young Betty. Yeah, I mean, I would argue they are definitely like... Younger pre- than that actress. Pre-teen. Yeah. Um, and there's a... <laughs> And he said this very clearly. Um, Werther's is terrible. He's a very bad therapist. But he ha- he has a point, but he's on the wrong track is the way I want to say it. Because I do believe Betty has a bad relationship with sex. Mm-hmm. Remember when she first talked to her mom and didn't understand what sexual urges were? Right? Betty yeah. has a terrible relationship like she, with sex. She does. But he's like, oh, you're a nymphomaniac. And not that like the society she was brought up in has repressed her sexual energy. And now that the cork has popped, she doesn't know what what is. Like thinking back that her first sexual memory is. is thinking a ten- boy is cute. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, she does not know the difference between romantic feelings and sexual feelings. Because I am honestly of the mind that I do not think. That was a sexual memory. I, I think agree. it was a romantic memory, or I think it was a a memory, or like a thought of "I like this boy," but because she's so repressed, she doesn't know what a sexual. I would say her first sexual memory yeah. is probably seeing Archie through the window for the yeah. first time. Well, I mean, <laughs> I I know I just said that she she said I have a stirring and I don't know what it is. She's a sixteen year old who has no idea what feeling sex sexual is like. Yeah, so. <laughs> Again, show you're doing a good They're, job. They are, they yeah, they are doing. I'm willing to give them that. This is potentially on purpose. Like it's it's good because um, after that he follows up with like, oh, how much do you think about sex now? And Betty thinks about sex all the time with, with everyone. everyone, including a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> she's turned on by a volcano, and I'm like, yeah, she's a teenager. Yeah, she's got so many hormones, and she's not allowed to express herself in. Anyway, because yeah. notably in most of these scenes where she's fantasizing, yeah. they are completely clothed and they're just kissing in public yeah. places. She's walking past people and is like, what if I kiss that person right now? To be fair, she Except does Reggie. Reggie. kiss. They, they are naked in the shower. So that is sex. <laughs> it is weird that they go right from the hallway. Like Everyone else, she kind of like kisses around where they are. But her and Reggie went to a second location. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, can, before we move on, can I critique the show? Sure. Stop making Betty kiss Veronica. That's queer baiting. Yeah, like, 
we I understand that there was that short bit in season five, whatever Drake was there. I think she was there in the magic season. I also think Drake. Yes, Drake was there in the yeah. magic season because um, she explained magic too. Yes. So, them. um, I understand you had that 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 like short thing there to like Be do like, stuff maybe. with it, and like it's fine if a character is bisexual, but you don't like constantly see it. But like, I feel like this is queer baiting because they're just doing it because it was in the pilot. Yeah, it feels it does feel weird. Like not enough that I want to dwell on it and like talk about it a whole lot it just does feel i agree it does it I, something i pointed out as well and like maybe in some ways it kind of makes sense because betty does link veronica with sex she yeah. thinks veronica is the one who can teach her about it yeah so i mean you could make an argument there but i don't think anyone's making that argument i think they're just like this will be cool betty and veronica kissing put that in a trailer yeah. uh I like how she brings up, uh, hey, well, teens think about six sex every seven seconds. And we're just like, that's for boys. That's the boys stats. For girls, it's different. Girls are supposed to be mothers. The boys are supposed to, supposed to think about sex all the time. I think this is a great like indication of also why patriarchy also sucks for guys. Yeah. Because like, it, like men in the patriarchy are treated as you have no self-control. And that is... In in this like patriarchy sense of like what, how it treats everybody, nobody has agency. Nope. Nobody has agency. Women are like um, bound by these like seductress urges hidden somewhere inside them, and men are like dumb Neanderthals who don't understand what they're doing and can be easily controlled. How, why would you want something where everybody sucks? And if a man doesn't want to have sex, then he's a deviant and he needs to figure himself out and be a man. Yeah, it's like no, every uh, boy think about sex all the time, but like. Women, they, they they never do it. They're never supposed to. But like, oh, they're going to do it. But oh, they shouldn't. But also men, oh, you can't control yourselves. You just, you can't get distracted. It's natural to feel these things, but don't do them. Again, if this had been this whole TV show, this would have been so interesting. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I want to follow this up when he's like, so why, why do you feel like you think about sex all the time? And she's like, well, what about my dad? Like, yeah, because he says... Like men don't think about sex, and she's like, well, "My dad has girly mags." Like, what are you? What are you talking about? And I would argue, Betty, that might be your first sexual memory finding <laughs> the girly mags because she loves them. <laughs> she did. It does feel like she found them like last year. Uh, where this is also, I should. Basically, he's all about like, oh, sex is for married people, so they can start families. Um, and then Betty looks back and she sees, like, she sees a, she sees the girly mag. She's like, ah. Sexy women. Then he, she looks back and they have two twin beds. Yep. 1950s. Yeah. I wanted, So I kind of wanted to bring up the twin beds thing because I wanted to look it up. Um, because I... So obviously my history is in film. Yeah. And you see them in film. And there's like this misconception that I only recently figured out was a misconception. Which is like, oh, well, I mean, the reason they had a film like I Love Lucy and them in twin beds is because, you know, on... TV, you can't even talk about pregnancy. You can't talk about anything like that. Um, but twin beds, like, but number one, they are not just a TV thing. People actually did them. Yeah. Um, but interesting enough, they were not introduced. Like the idea of um, uh, cut, like a married couple sleeping in twin beds. Yeah. They weren't introduced as a form of modesty or sexual oppression. They were introduced in like the late 1800s uh, because it might... Because if you sleep in the same bed, the weaker sleeper might rob the vitality of the stronger <laughs> sleeper. 
which which is an insane phrase to say, but it is like clarified. Where, but think think about it this way: instead of thinking like some vampirism thing, think of it like this: Yeah, you're sharing germs when you sleep next to someone. Okay. So like that is more of the context, and then they became like in like the 1920s became like modern and fashionable with this idea of like. It gives you comfort. It keeps this idea of, like, continued commitment, like, nocturnal commitment. But you get a separateness and an autonomy. Um, it wasn't until, like, the 1950s, like, right now, mm-hmm. where the idea was raised that when you see those two beds, it's an indication of a failing marriage. Like, that was when that idea came in. Okay. But it was well, never based around, like, sexual repression. Like, oh, these people, they, they can't even sleep in the same bed because sex is such a repressed thing. Do you think it came up as an indication of a failing marriage in the 1950s? Because that would have been right around where um, I Love Lucy was it? No, it wasn't I Love Lucy who had the first married couple sharing a bed. But, like, married couples sharing beds started on TV I mean, right around this time. The thing is, like, around this time, it, it's not like And so, like, every... norms shifted, though, because people were like, oh, look, if this couple loves each other on TV and they're sharing a bed. I mean... So it becomes symbolic. I mean, maybe. The thing about it is that, like, at, like it wasn't... It's not like every married couple had a split bed. It was a thing that essentially rose in fashion in the late... Uh, 1800s was really picked up by like the middle class and while it was on a constant thing it was it was just like wasn't an uncommon thing if you walked into a mm-hmm. room and saw separate beds you'd be like oh that's yeah. they do that thing that's that's cool and fine do you remember um, that our grandma and grandpa had separate bedrooms yeah i mean the the it's worth like talking about how things go in cycles yeah. from last episode that idea is coming back you hear a lot of people talking about about how like if they're able to get a place that has like a guest room they're like yeah sometimes we're like We'll each have our own bedroom because it gives an idea of autonomy. And you can come together or you can be apart. Yeah. Um, th- I'm sort of saying all this to show that when Betty, like, found the sex book and then looked back at the bed, I'm not sure if th- – I think they might have been using that to represent the idea of sexual oppression. But it's funny that they're right. It is an uh, it is an indicator in the 1950s, especially 1955. This, yeah. this cut out by, like, the 60s. Um it was an indicator of like a failing marriage, so like the iconography works. It's like they're they could be consciously playing with this. <laughs> they too have film degrees, maybe they yeah. could know. Yeah, uh, anyway. I mean, film degree put me in the other direction. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, she talks with him for a while about like marriage, and, and then she reveals something that we know <laughs> because. Grown-up Betty told us last season. Yeah, unfortunately, but 1950s Betty figures it out way earlier. I mean, if you want to, re- if you want to also think back about that, that was something that kind of bugged me because they changed her mind in it. That well, like, a comet, well, a she comet met, was happening. Yeah, she uh, she just hadn't met the right guy yet. Uh, but but to be fair, what Betty says, teenage Betty yeah. says, I don't want to get married soon, and I'm like, yeah, you're 16, go girl, don't get married. Well, it was the 1950s. The average like the average age of people getting married was 20. And then she says, or maybe not even ever. <laughs> and Werther's is shocked. Okay, well, is Werther's married? As <laughs> if he's no. a lonely man. Yeah, no, but he's a he's a doctor. He's, yeah, he he's a he's an adult man. There's a lot of things that people are like. I'm an adult woman. I'm an adult man. When, he, when, when she's like, "Why don't you talk to my dad?" He's like, well, "I'm a child psychologist." <laughs> but he's like, "Well, I'm not a child." And I'm like, "You are." Well, I'm like, "Well, you know what? You are a 25 year old in a 16 year old's body. So technically, yeah." So Betty, who knows how old you are? <laughs> Impossible um, to say. And this leads 
it, directly, directly we go from this scene, God, we're 20 minutes in and like five minutes of this episode. <laughs> um, this leads directly to Alice coming to Benjamin and being like, oh, I just picked up these wedding magazines. It takes Betty way too long to like fully connect that, that Mr. Werther's, Werther's is directly. Like, of course I, he's I, narking Betty. I understand that Betty probably had like the rest of her school day yeah. and like a lot of time, but for us, it is so much like. Yeah. So clearly apparent. Hard cut. I don't want to get married. Well, Betty, I just think when you get married, it'll make. Oh, this is great. Alice, which is like, I just think when you get married, it'll make me so happy. And I'm like, Alice. Classic Alice coming in with the guilt, centering <laughs> well, herself. Yeah, Alice, nothing about how like a wedding might make Betty feel. Just like, but Betty, it'll make me happy. I'm like, Alice, you really got to like ingest what these past couple of weeks have been like. Meanwhile. Veronica story. Veronica, I thought was selling tickets to her movie theater at school, which I thought was strange. But even stranger, she is giving away free tickets to her movie theater because Veronica knows what we all know. Movie <laughs> theaters make their money on popcorn yeah. and soda. I think she only gave free ones to, I think she was sending out like, hey, come to see it. And then she gave free ones specifically to Cheryl to like invite the James Dean fan club. And the Vixens. Yeah. And the Bulldogs. Yeah. Uh, I, okay. So they're doing a James Dean double feature. And I love calling it double feature because those are like, the two, they're like, oh, they're a double feature. I'm like, yeah, you still mean the two movies? Yeah, the <laughs> only movies are. he's done. And, and the only James Dean movie they'll talk about is East of Eden. Yeah, that bugs me a lot. I think the reason they decided to do East of Eden is because it is the le- slightly less popular one. I think, I think like, when I was growing up and I knew about James Dean, I mostly knew Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah, and everyone does. It's but, iconic. But... Here's the problem with constant time with East of Eden being like, oh, how do you get East, 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 of Eden, East of Eden? Rebel Without a Cause would have released right then. Yeah, Rebel Without a Cause is the one they should be having yes, trouble getting. because it released then. I guess they're in October now. It it just released. Wait, wasn't it posthumously yes, released? Yes, it was released yeah. one month after his death. Yeah. Gi- Giant would be, would be next year, right. which was like the his final one. But Rebel Without a Cause was literally one month after his death. But they are constantly called the Ease of Eden, which means they either forgot Rebel At Without a Cause came out after East of Eden, or they just wanted to be like, oh, yeah, but everyone talks about Rebel Without a Cause. Let's talk about East of Eden. I'm like, we want we want Veronica to make a Steinbeck reference later. Like, what are you? <laughs> what are you but, doing? But it doesn't make sense <laughs> that, that they can get that East of Eden is a harder one to get. Well, especially all of these kids would have seen East of Eden, right? When it came out before? Okay, I mean, movie theaters were weird in the time. Um, I can't imagine that they would not have at some point seen East of Eden. Especially the James Dean fan club. How could it be a fan club if they didn't see it? Yeah, exactly. They they must have seen it. I I think when Cheryl talking about, like, I've been working hard to get East of Eden out to our sleepy little hamlet, I think she means for, like, a re-showing. Right. I I think some of this also comes from the misunderstand... Not... Maybe misunderstanding, maybe the right word. Or just, like, not caring about how movie theaters worked in the 1955. Which was very different than now. Yeah, like, yeah, now you could make an argument getting East of Eden might be more difficult because it's an older release. But in in 1955, movies stayed in theaters... All the time. They're the only because they're the only place you could really watch them. Like, yeah. T- like they weren't playing them on TV, or if they were, it was like a big deal, and it wasn't the big movies. It was yeah. like yeah. So like it was a lot of movies would just play multiple times in the theater, especially if it's East of Eden, which at this point 
James Dean. Like, the biggest argument I think I can get put forward is that Riverdale is, once again, a small town. Like, right. we, we have, in the quantum state of Riverdale, we have once again entered a small town. Because as Cheryl says, oh, well, the Orpheum in Greendale has a larger screen. Now, I would just like to say, Riverdale writing team, yeah. I know you were making a different point when Veronica bought The Babylonian. Yeah. I think the fact that there is a bigger, better movie theater one town over is the reason it's probably that the real reason why. failing. <laughs> it's probably the real reason why it's failing. Him being like, well, with the drive-ins and the, the TV, it's not, and never, never mentioning to Veronica. Also, there's a much larger, better theater in the next town over, and who wants to come here if if, did he trick her (laughs) i think he tricked her but they easily could have fixed this by just having cheryl be like why should i come to your movie theater to see east of eden when i can watch it in the comfort of my own car at the drive-in yeah i kind of that kind of the way to do it uh other than adding another element yeah well, they had to bring up because they're going to mention it later. Uh, Veronica, however, like gets him with the free tickets. She's going to uh, personally invite the bulldogs, and they're like, "Is it? Is it the bulldogs or one bulldog?" And I was like, "Archie, which no. one? No, no, it's Reggie. It's Reggie." And again, the only reason that Betty is being like, you know, made into a pariah is because yeah. of her parents. But Veronica is hanging out with a bunch of shirtless boys. <laughs> she should not... Why are they all shirtless? Why did she wait until they were showering to do this? I don't think they were showering. I think they were playing basketball. They're also wearing basketball shorts. It's confusing because they're white, so I did think some of them were wearing towels. Yeah. No, they're just shorts and the sweatiest human beings in existence. <laughs> so they weren't showering. No. They're just wet. They're ju- they're just very wet. <laughs> she should not be hanging out with these wet boys. Yeah. Uh, it is funny seeing Veronica pursue Reggie because historically in the books, Reggie is the one who pursues Veronica. And in the show, Reggie is the one who pursues Veronica. Yeah, but hey, now this Reggie is... Okay, so... This uh, Reggie don't give uh, a care. Yeah, I'm going to talk about this very quickly. Um, there's a few things in this uh, episode where... And this entire season, where if you look at them from the context, of the, from the idea mm-hmm. that this is the first season of the show... And this them like trying new like trying to like approach things from different angles. It works really, really well. Except for Reggie. Reggie doesn't work. Reggie only works if you're aware that they have been time shifted. Because if you were watching the show normally and they're like, and this is Reggie Mantle, you'd be like, no, it's not. He's not doing any pranks. He's, yeah, he does not rich. He does no he has no Reggie things. Veronica's pursuing him, and he's only kind of interested in it eventually. Uh Julian is Reggie. Yeah, Julian's Julian's not in this episode yeah. because I don't know, he's kicking puppies. I mean, who yeah. knows. Uh but like just just getting that set up. So anyway, Yeah, it is perplexing yeah. and I don't understand why time travel changed Reggie's personality except that maybe Tabitha was like I don't really like Reggie. <laughs> you got to get this guy. I've, no, I haven't spent a lot of time with Reggie. Well, I, I don't really know what he's like. Okay, based on the assumption that this is all Tabitha like doing things, then Makes more sense. Uh, so the Babylonium is crazy. A lot of people went there. Veronica will take the time to ask Reggie out. Uh, but there's a situation in the projection booth. Now, it's insane that they didn't look at the reels until now, right? I think they just got them. Oh, they got them right before the sh- Wow. That's what I think. That's dangerous. I mean, that's, that's a dangerous that's, game, Veronica. Yeah, no. You know, yeah, no. I think it's a very dangerous game. Uh, I mean, or, I mean, it, it's hard to... To, I guess, argue with them with the fact that, like, you just assume 
they're going to be fine. That the well, studio who's sending you this film is not going to send you overexposed prints. But you'd think you would still check them because yeah. you want to make sure you didn't get, like, you got all of the right reels. Yeah, no, no. You didn't get, like, a duplicate of. No, I agree. I agree. Like, this two or it's, it's bad management. But this is a movie theater run by teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Veronica's bad at this. Uh, <laughs> she does go out and she's, they're like, it was a refund. And she's like, well, you guys didn't pay for your tickets. Like, no, for the food. The food that they are both eating yeah. and throwing at her. So, arguably, they are getting. <laughs> The benefit. They are getting the benefit. And if Veronica was an adult, not a teenager, she'd be like, no, no refunds. You're consuming the thing. I mean, I, I would argue that I think her first response was probably the best one, which is like, I'll give you a voucher and you'll get free food next, next time, time you, yeah. you, you come here. Because, yeah, you're right. You came here for a thing. That thing didn't happen because they did not check beforehand to make sure that the reel worked. Uh, and... Like, that's kind of on them. Like they did. That is on them. It's, it's weird because it's not like a restaurant where you get your food and then you eat it and then you argue. They did get that food with the express idea of, I am going to watch a movie with this food. So like, But I think if their food was untouched, I'd be like, yeah, I'll refund you for that. But if they're throwing it at her, I mean, yeah, no, they throwing, get a voucher. No, yeah, throwing it at her is obviously the case. The problem is that she's in a small town and every single thing that happens is... Also, she's... Arguably 16. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, this uh, unfortunately, means that Reggie and Veronica can't have their day immediately, but they are going to have a rain check, so it's like... And cool. Reggie's very cool and chill. He's yeah. like, yeah, I figured that your business was pretty crappy and uh, <laughs> yeah. really hanging on by a thread, so don't worry. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, Veronica takes his immediately to call Peter Roth, uh, the one who sent the... The, the bad, the bad film and he's like, And he's like, well, hey, that's your fault somehow. Well, I mean, I she mean, didn't check it. Well, yeah, but it's not her fault. Like, he's refusing to accept responsibility. Yeah, he's refusing to do anything to fix it. So it's very clear he is having pressure put on him. Like, unless if you just want to imagine this guy is absolute trash. But, like, it's very clear he has pressure on him because he knows who she is. Mm -hmm. So if this was an accident, if she got the word out that, like, oh, yeah, no, he sent out a print... That he sent me a, out a damaged print through like her highly famous parents, right? So it's pretty, I think, it's, clear it's, off the drop. And to her, Veronica does. She, she says that she suspected it now, and I kind of do believe her. It's so yeah. insane. His weird, like the way that he interacts <laughs> with her. Yeah. Oh well, you know, it's a small town. We don't really care. And that's what we get. They call a whole bunch of other studios, and they're all just like, "Oh, it's Riverdale." Well, we don't care about Riverdale, which is probably true. Yeah, I, I, honestly, like. I think because it is just a tiny town and her parents have a semblance of control, it does feel reasonable that they could put, like, the barest amount of pressure and they just be like, yeah, I mean, I guess we don't lose that much from not funding this. I guess this, like, so. It, it, and, like, I guess that studios, like, studios are all powerful. Yeah, especially in the 1950s. Especially in the 1950s. Yeah. It, a lot but, of these studios will actually own their own movie theaters. What? I well no they had to stop doing that in 1948 because that's oh right when that the, was 1948 yeah right, I, I looked this up the Paramount yeah I thought the, the Paramount I, Act and the free I thought that went to the 50s yeah I, 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 I'm pretty sure it was 48 no I trust you you're the one who's doing the <laughs> Oscars things throughout the years so um, I haven't done this for since so, I went to my university by this point studio stopped owning theaters yes. but they still had a lot of the power in the game oh yeah because they're both producers and distributors yeah. Um, however, because studios are so powerful, mm. I do find it a little bit odd that these TV actor parents of Veronica's 
have this much power over the studios because I would think the studio like and these studios are like yeah. so desperate to work with them yeah because they're TV actors I I, I think they're in the mafia still <laughs> um I mean that, that is that is a possibility I just I, I don't think her parents are famous enough like they're not like, I the thing is that that like they've already they're not put, Clark they, Gable. they've already put forward the the idea that they're able to like buy a um very small movie yeah. theater and I think if we compare them to like um, an I Love Lucy style thing, like in its in its peak, then there's a potential that we just don't know enough about the parents. Yeah. So just learning this information means that this is not this information doesn't conflict with anything I know. It just adds something that I now need to consider. They clearly don't have absolute control because the second that Veronica gets, gets any, some buzz, any buzz, they're like, oh yeah, no, I, I, absolutely, of course. So I think it's more like they put the bears amount of pressure and they're like. Yeah, I mean that. Like, I, I don't that the- care about Riverdale. Just a random theater in a small town that like probably doesn't give us that much. Yeah, sure, we won't sell to your daughter's theater. One thing we mentioned, like, no, Orpheus is going to do it. Like, yeah, I understand that they might just like. I, it just it kind of seems to me weird. that I'm. It, it's just a little bit weird that all of these studios are like, <laughs> yeah, sure, TV actors, you can. I, Call in your one favor with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna argue. I'm, I'm the, I think the way I'm gonna make this land is I think they did for some of them. I think some of these are legitimately, they're just like, no, we don't care. That's fair. Like, I think if you do the cross section between that, and maybe the parent, maybe that's, I don't think the parents plan that, like, oh, well, I specifically approached the ones who would say yes. I think they just caught enough of them that they're like, she's gonna have trouble getting movies. And then when she tells people she has trouble getting movies, she'll keep having trouble getting movies, yeah. I would argue. Um, which that happens. They call around to a whole bunch of theaters. We had a whole bunch of name drops of like movies, famous movies at the time, and theater, and um, uh, producers and distributors uh, until Clay suggests, why don't we do just like, Indie, like, B-movie. So I'm like, yes, become a B-movie theater. Do it. Be Start a, that trend. Be a trashy B-movie theater. This is the perfect time to do it. This is like when Godzilla came out. Right. Do it. Um, I love how this ends as well, is her being like, after they spent this entire time name-dropping, like, everything, like, RKO. Uh, I can't, I can't uh, Silver, yeah. Spring Silver Star they, they said a whole bunch of them, a yeah. whole bunch of movies. She's like, all right, fine. Get me... Uh, something. Get, <laughs> yeah, get me an independent house. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> they you don't, don't know them. You don't know who they are. So, like, because there's so much name dropping, adding in this scene where she tries to name drop but doesn't know one is <laughs> so funny. Very funny. Uh, oh, we get some more Betty talking to Werther's oh, God. about like, so sex there's... dreams. Yes, Betty, if her dreams are sexual, and she and... says, "Yeah, yeah, she has sex dreams where she's Miss Grundy." Okay, and did you? She put on glasses she to no, represent that she's a teacher. Of course, she's putting on. The, she wears the glasses so you know she's a sexy teacher. Oh God, that's my favorite <laughs> reference. Yeah, um, <laughs> in this scene we get another once again. Betty's very confused that it, this makes no sense. Betty's very confused that he's writing in his notebook, but they did it a few times where she's like, "What are you writing in your notebook? What are you writing in your notebook?" I'm like, "Oh, she's something's going to happen with the yeah. notebook." Clearly, like, Betty, she's he's clearly <laughs> writing down what you're saying. <laughs> Um, just like how you write it in your diary, which means that now the diaries have been introduced to the world. Uh, yep, because this Betty hasn't learned that <laughs> her trust mother anyone. is terrible. 
just not to trust any. She, I don't know. Once again, I don't know if she's made the connection that Werther's is clearly talking to her mom. Oh, Betty, I would have assumed Betty. that before I even started the first. Well, if my mom set it up <laughs> and I have to go see the creepiest turtle man. Yeah, like maybe these days I would go in with an idea of, oh, there's clearly like there's an established patient like confidentiality thing. I'm not certain how well established that was in the 50s with like psychi- especially with psychiatry. Right. In like the fi- psychiatry in like the early 20th century was the wild west. Well, that's the thing. He's not he has a doctor for his name, but I don't think <laughs> he's in psych. Like no. I don't think it's a psychiatric doctor. I think he's a psychologist or a psychiatrist, which yeah. is different. Yeah. Uh, he can't prescribe he, pills. He can't prescribe pills, and he's not governed by the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. His first duty is not to do no harm. No, it's, His first duty is to do harm. <laughs> um, and to ask a teenage girl way too much about sex. Yeah. Um, Betty m- makes... Okay, this, this is the part where Betty, I think, talks a bit too much about herself. She kind of explains what her premise is to the audience. Because um, he's like... Uh, I think you just want to be seen. And she's like, yeah, I want to be seen. Well, he says, you want to be seen in sexual situations. Yeah. She's like, I just want to be seen, period. And you, the thing is, that's I like honestly true. She has been repressed her entire life mm. to the point she doesn't understand what things are. And because because she's been repressed, she almost needs people to see that part of her to understand herself as a full person. And this is kind of been Betty's storyline for the entire seven seasons. Yeah. They've just put a dark Betty hat on it. Yeah. They they were judging it a bit too much. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> she wants to be seen as a whole person. She wants autonomy. She wants personhood. Yeah. And because the one thing she has never been able to, like, accept about herself is her sexual, sexual her desires. desires. It is the thing she's going forward with because... It's the thing that is keeping her in her mind from being seen as a full person. I don't like that she kind of like, you know what? She doesn't fully explain it that way. She puts out enough hints that as an audience member, you could, who maybe has an idea of how people are, you could mm-hmm. lead to that. So maybe I'm being too harsh on that. But she do, she does use a couple of very modern psychoanalyzing yourself words. Yeah. Uh, that book is awesome, I guess. She learned so much. <laughs> so, um, Veronica. Goes uh, to Pop Tate's. Yep. And she sees Jughead, who's just been sitting in the booth, and she checks in with him. I hoped first just, like, about their He's... relationship. I mean, I'm glad they're talking. I do wish that, you know, she asked him about his dead dad. God, I wish anyone... Dead a- friend. Okay, so I'm not clear who knows about his relationship with Ray Bear... I With Ray... Well, with Ray Barry, or... If they know Ray Barry is dead, because Jughead obviously doesn't say in the scene. No one mentions it. He just makes it very clear he is sad and grieving. And no one asks him. Except for, like, Pop Tates is taking care of him. Yeah. But Veronica and Betty, he'll be like, oh, you know, I'm just, you know, like, reading these books. I really like these books. And, like, hey, No, he says to Betty that he's mourning a friend. Because she's like, oh, you're a bigger reader than I am. I, oh, yeah. I heard you've been here for two days. Yeah, and then, and then yeah, I think he does say he's my friend. She goes, oh, anyway, my thing. And Veronica does the same thing. Like, just why does nobody check on Jughead? Like, him living in his train. I don't know the train car, like, for a lot of them, maybe it's a, an old thing. But Veronica doesn't check. Like, nobody no. checks in on Jughead. And he's a boy with a dog, no parents, no house. His... His he finally had like a father figure that he looked up to, and he died, and then he like 
like Pop Tates is clearly taking care of him. So I respect yeah. Pop Tates. He has given him a safe place for him to like get through what is going on. He comes over constantly to like check on him and to treat him like a human being. And but I, Veronica and Betty just like, anyway, my stuff. Tabitha's not in this episode because they had to pay um, Moose, <laughs> not Moose, oh my God, um, Fangs and Midge and Dilton. <laughs> there are a lot of other people, yeah. Um, but I have to assume, because Tabitha is still Pop Tate's granddaughter, yeah. that she must have, like, because she, she knows yeah. Rayberry's dad, and she yeah. knows how much Jug had cared about him. So I assume she must have been like, Grandpa, you need to <laughs> yeah. help, help my friend, Grandpa. He has no parents. He lives in a train car. But uh, Veronica's thing is that she's like, like, hey, have you ever heard of the crawling eye? This bugged me a bit. Um, because constantly, twice, twice people will say, oh, from a few years ago, from a few years ago. Yeah. That movie came out three years after, in 1958. Why couldn't they just make up a movie? I think this is the movie they got their license to. Now, it's the wrong time. I am beginning to accept that they just kind of select things based on vibes well, I just and wish fudge they had, dates. I wish they hadn't said 1955. They could have just said it's 1950. Like, you know the, how the, the Goldbergs does, pro- like, it's 80-whatever? Yeah. The problem is, yes, is exactly what we said. And we've said this in other episodes. They... They waver so much between specificity and generic that it's you can't accept either one of them. I'm I'm beginning to accept it. And maybe if I want to come up with an in-universe reason, Tabitha didn't know when it came out. <laughs> so she just was like, oh, well, I know this movie was around here. Everything does kind of make sense if you just assume this is Tabitha. Time travel problems. Yeah. I mean, she did say the time stream is all like... All mixed, mixed up. up. And she's all, like, the Tabitha we know is also traveling through time right now yeah. trying to fix things. Yeah. So maybe she's moving stuff. Yeah. So I would, so, and here's what I'll say. Yeah, you know what? That's actually a perf- perfectly reasonable in-universe explanation for why these things are happening. So it bugs the hell out of me because other things are so based on the time. Well, like, and, like, we ugh. also, we James Dean's death brought up so many times and it's actually his death. We, we haven't seen um, any time travel stuff since episode one too so yeah. it's getting now that we're in episode nine it's getting harder and harder to be like also time travel also well, 2027 well and also the fact they had to have two people be like that came up a few years ago once again hey we haven't seen the end of this maybe when the time theater stuff is brought back tabitha will be like didn't you notice some things were at the wrong time? I don't think these are clear enough, though. I don't think anybody other than me with my stupid knowledge would know that the crawling eye came out in almost the 60s. It's not like they were like, <laughs> the Titanic, it sank in 1922. And you're like, that's not 1914. Yeah. Like, something like, like they're, that. They're too close to be like, I don't 1912. Know. Oh, um, my God. Titanic sank in 1912. Yeah. So uh, Jughead, in this conversation, when Veronica's like, do you think people will like The Crawling Eye? Jughead introduces the idea of 4D gimmick films. And I wrote down 4D, and then Veronica says it later. Well, he specifically mentions something that I knew about because it is like the first, it's a popular B-movie. Yeah. It's one of the first like concepts of 4D gimmick films, which was The Tingler, which is a movie where they put like a little like vibrating like shock thing in people's seats. Uh, I'm like, hey, it's cool that you, like, referenced that. Yeah. So I guess they're going to do that. Uh, meanwhile, back to Betty's storyline, where just le- let me say this sentence. Yeah. Alice has invited a reverend from a Presbyterian church that they used to go to. Seems all of them have last- yeah. lapsed. <laughs> over to their house. And this res- reverend from a Presbyterian church is going to hear Betty's confession 
and then do an exorcism because Alice read her diaries. It's been a while since I had my course on Western uh religions did presbyterians do confession no okay <laughs> that's that's how i was thinking i'm like i think that's, catholic i think that's very heavily a catholic it's catholic thing. confessions and exorcisms are only catholics <laughs> and they're priests not reverends <laughs> what is this nonsense I'm like wait what is i mean you know knows maybe i'll look it up and they'll be like well technically in the 1950s but i'm just like wait what no that's not how, what my huh? brain it broke um yeah, and this is where it's revealed that Alice did just go through the diaries because Betty mentioned them. I, Betty slowly in this scene makes the connection that Tilly Werther's told her. Um, and she's very upset about it, rightfully so. She storms out. She storms she's out. She's like, I can't believe she did Bro- breaking and entering. Wait. Breaking and entering? A then, notepad. Then she does a breaking and entering. Yeah. She go- and she oh, So she opens up his drawer and she finds a book. She finds the confiscated things. She's got like... All the comics. A switchblade. A switchblade. Which I bet came from Fangs. A, um, um, oh God, what's the... Sling, a slingshot. Slingshot, yes. And then at the back, she found Lolita. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Jughead still at Pop Tate's <laughs> reading. Look, Brad Rayberry has a prolific collection of books. Yeah, they shifted Ray Bradbury's, I guess, his thing backwards. So Because it's not the same guy. It's a different guy. Uh yeah, so this is where Betty does the thing where he's like, oh, I'm kind of sad. And she goes, huh, anyway, can you explain the plot of Lolita to me? I just want to say that um, Jughead, I know, is into literature, but they've reached the point where I think Jughead is doing too many things. He's a film boy, and he's also a comic boy, and he's also a literature boy, and he has deep knowledge about my, all of it. Yes, my thing is that I would give him the film thing, like Crawling Eye and like Creature in the Black Lagoon and those things, because I believe they line up very heavily with, with specifically comics. what we heard Radbear, Rayberry um, writes. Uh, Brad Wright, what, what he writes, mm-hmm. the comics he reads, and those movies, I think all line up. It's him, all horror thriller stuff. Yeah, him knowing about... Lolita, a book that would have just came out. And because he read about it in the Paris Review. Yeah, like, that is a bit of a... Well, someone, I guess, has to explain Lolita because when Betty goes to read it, they have to have somebody, like... She, she has to... I, the, the audience has to know what Lolita's about. Here's what I'll argue to them. Um, this is probably better than having Betty walk up to Werther's and explain the plot of Lolita to him. Fair. It's cleaner. And you know what? I'm going to give them this. I can't honestly think of a better way, of to, do a better way to do it. And I think it's... Do you remember, Jughead doesn't explain to her... So the thing about Lolita is that Lolita is what you can kind of consider the first Fight Club film. It's a movie that where if somebody says they like it, Boy, it really depends on the who that person is. That that's fair. And I thought I thought I because we don't trust Riverdale, I thought they might go for the um the easy reading of it. The unnuanced view. But they do a very good nuanced view because at so for all she gets from Jughead is he's like, Well, it's a st- you know what? He only knows he only knows He read a blurb. Plot. He yeah. clearly read a blurb. He's like, Well, it's about this guy named um. Humbert Humbert. Humbert Humbert. Um, and, Who's a professor. Yeah, and his love affair with uh, Dolores, uh, I can't remember her name, it doesn't matter, Lolita. She, she's 12. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's like, yeah, she's 12. He's like, <laughs> face response. It's a book for perverts? And Jughead's like, 
I mean, I don't know. I didn't read it. Like, like, but I do think the prescribing moral authority over art is a tricky choice to make. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, Riverdale, you're talking to us. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> hey, we're not prescribing moral authority to art. We're describing moral authority to the choices you make. Exactly. Uh <laughs> So, yeah, so she's going to go and, I guess, uh, read that. Meanwhile, Veronica has, like, called her enemies together to play them the <laughs> Crawling Eye trailer. At school. <laughs> yep. Um, and it gets convinced him to go to that. And then Veronica will make ongoing balls jokes. Yes. Throughout the rest of this episode. Yeah. So uh, she recruits uh, Archie and Reggie to make some paper mache Uh Reggie is in, like, immediately, and then Archie, <laughs> once Reggie's in, Archie's like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll do it as well. Because he's, like, trying to protect our Reggie. He's like, no, no, we, we, we got to do school and basketball. Yep. Uh, we do quickly check in, with, check in with Betty, where she just doesn't go to, to therapy. The meet, which is funny, was I'm like, you can just do that? <laughs> I thought this was, like, mandated by somebody. Her mother. Yeah. She's not scared of her mother right I now. Guess, yeah, I guess she's like, I'll miss one, because I already have a thing on him, so... Uh, and then we see the show. Uh, Be- Veronica is doing like classic that schlock stuff. She's selling life insurance policies. She has a quote unquote nurse on hand, which is Midge. It's Midge. Uh, Midge. She- Midge, who is Midge, who is aware enough to be dressed up as a nurse, but not actually what's going on in the show. Which wild. Which I I love just seeing Midge show up at times where clearly something happened off screen to get her in this situation. You know what else is happening off screen, Kevin? Don't forget, Fangs is becoming a rock star. Yes, that will happen at some point. He's he's able to spend time with Midge because they're in a dark room with only kids. It's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the movie begins, and they're watching it in 3D. Though the so screen is not 3D, but whatever. I'm not going to nitpick that. I do think it's funny that they're watching it in 3D because Cheryl was like, uh, aren't you showing it in 3D? And Veronica's like, no, I mean 4D. <laughs> but it's also 3D. Yeah. Maybe. Honestly, like, I'm just saying that I'm not going to criticize oh, them yeah. for not having the screen be 3D. Because can you imagine walking at that screen with it not being 3D? And oh, the, those know. ones are always a pain. Um but I also am not going to throw it past the idea that she just gave him 3D glasses. <laughs> <laughs> because what happens is the fog comes in, everyone's confused, and then I guess Archie and Reggie come out in these crawling eye costumes and like a, ooh! And it's the scariest, craziest Ev- thing these teens have ever yeah, seen. Everyone <laughs> loves it. I mean, you have to remember, again, this is 1955. This is a weird thing to see, and they adore it. It's true. It's like when people watch the first film of the train, and they thought the train was legitimately going to come out of the the film. New things are interesting. And it's fun. Yeah. These eye monsters are touching them. And their costumes look really, really good, considering apparently Clay and Kevin made them out of paper mache. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this uh, is followed up by, at some time, maybe the next day, um, Betty confronts Werther about Lolita. I want to point something out right now. It was in a drawer. With of confiscated a, Confiscated things. goods. There is no evidence that it is possibly his until he admits it like he's the villain at the end of CSI. He like, admits fine, it immediately. Fine, you got it. It is mine. I'm like, what are you talking about? Just it's, say you got it's, it from someone. It's even weird that Betty would think it's his. The drawer is full of things he has confiscated. I mean... Admittedly, I think maybe she was just interested and then she read it and then she saw the parallels. Right. Um, because, and this is way better than I thought they would do, uh, Werther's re- has read the book f- 
and just accepted Humbert's point of view. So and yeah, he claims that this book helps him understand Betty's yeah, sexual because, deviance. Because you're just like that little girl Dolores. You're you're sexualizing, you're seducing men. And I'm like, oh, this, sir. Well, and uh, so okay, so I, I'll be right front. I have not read Lolita. I all I have is people who I respect who yeah. have written their thoughts on yeah. it. And the idea is that I mean, I knew beforehand because the thing about Lolita is that yeah, it is written from the perspective of. Humbert, an unreliable um, narrator. Who's an unreliable narrator, and there's a lot of controversy at the time. That's why Jughead was kind of like shocked that she had it, because if you take it at face value, yes, it is a story about an older man and a younger woman's like relationship. But when you read it with the understanding that um, Lolita is a person that he is just like enforcing his will yeah, on, he is abusing her. Yeah, he's her stepfather. He like he has a lot of control over, her and he is just like. He has seen he has seen her not as a person but as a subject of his fantasies, and um, and you know we mock Riverdale for using the term grooming. Yeah, this is grooming. I mean, I I would even oh you're talking about Werther's and yeah 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 well, no what Werther's doing the, with Betty is grooming. Yeah. I'd say Lolita. I, I, the only reason I would not technically say Lolita's grooming is because he's actively abusing her and That's not true. grooming her to be abused later. Well, he can do both. I know, I know you can do both. Well, I, and I know in the story, he like when she turns like fourteen, he's like, mm, "She's getting old," uh, which is gross. So I, I, it's it's a distinction without a difference, is what I'm going yeah, to say that, there. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but anyway, Werther's is. I, okay, here, okay, actually, it's weird to say. Weirdly enough, yeah, I kind of want to say one thing in in defense of Werther's. Please let me finish, because um, she brings up like. So he sees things from Humber's point of view. She is a sexualized girl trying to um, seduce people. Like, and yeah. uh, Betty brings up the reading. Is like, well, no, like she is a twelve-year-old child. She, you know, she doesn't do this because you're putting a lot on a twelve-year-old child. And she brings up that Werther's is actually the pervert obsessed with sex. I am going to argue that I think Werther's is a pervert, but I think it, he is sexually repressed like Betty is, mm-hmm. and he, this is a subconscious thing that he does not fully realize he is doing because the way he reacts afterwards is to just shut down the, the, the sessions. Yeah. So I think, and so I think that he, I'm not saying, I'm not saying trying to make this into him being a good person. No, no, he's, not. he's not a good person, but, but he's... I do not, I think he, he is, in, it's in that way when you see a lot of like, it tends to be with like old white dudes who are very angry. <laughs> I'm gonna put it. They're very angry when women make them horny. Like I think that's the situation he's dealing with. Dealing I with there. Hope you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, this show though tends to like to make their villains who are not main characters just cartoonishly. That's that's why that's why I'm saying like if this is the case of going with it, I do think there's interesting nuance in that because they didn't just make him like a scheming pervert. He they yeah. made him like this guy who like really doesn't understand how his brain works. He doesn't understand that what's going on with him is that he has sexualized Betty and is infuriated at her because he has sexualized he her. has sexualized her. He's blaming her for the thoughts that he is having. Now hopefully it will continue with this. Yeah. The, the, and not turn into a league of stupid yeah. evil. The way I mean, there already is a league of stupid evil. Yeah, I know, earlier. but um, maybe but I think this is unrelated to the league of stupid and evil. Maybe they'll just be a league of evil, not stupid evil. The problem is that the people who are already in it. 
Uh, Meanwhile, yeah, I think I think I think we're just going to like speed up yeah. here because everyone loves Veronica. Her show's so good. Yep. Um, Archie it, and jo- yeah, Archie they, and Reggie they, quit because they agreed to do it, once, do it once, and they have other things to do. Yeah. Reggie, um, but Veronica she, thinks they're negotiating. Yes. Um, Reggie asks for a date, and Veronica's like, "Well, I mean, I, of course, but I'm I'm very busy now." I'm like, "Yeah, you know what? Cool and interesting. Yeah, I like the way this is going." Uh, we do check back in with Betty and we learn that Werther's has called to be like, I don't want to do the sessions anymore. <laughs> and Alice is like, no, you're doing them because he is going to fix you. Yes. And Betty asks the question that needs to be asked. Why do I need to be fixed? Why won't you just talk to me? Yeah. Um, I like that when you look at it, look at it, Alice kept on foisting off Betty's problems on other people. She's like, all right, yeah. you're going to go on the show. I'm not going to talk to you. You're going to go on the show. How was the, the one who told her she was going on the show? Um, and you're going on all the teens, like all the other all the other um, teens, like they'll fix you. Oh, we're going to send you to Cheryl. Cheryl will fix you. Oh, we're going to send you to Worthless. Worthless will fix you. Oh, I'm going to bring in the priest. The priest will fix you. They've done a good job of showing that what Alice is doing is that she is never, she never wants to talk to Betty. She never wants to engage with Betty. She just wants to foist her off onto someone else. And Betty almost breaks through. Yeah, she's like, what's changed between us? She's like, you said I was afraid for me. Now now I think you're afraid of me. Like, what? Like, what's... What is going on, Mom? I, I want I, I want to say that, like once again, based on the idea that we are that if we are not looking at the older seasons of the show, mm-hmm. if this was the first thing, this 1950s Alice, this is the best handled version version of Alice, is much more redeemable than older Alice. Yeah, like she was, she's mean, she's a bad mom, but clearly there is something going on, and the something... more more than the earlier seasons where Alice would make choices. I'll I'll, I'll throw it back to the season with with Dungeons and Dragons. I know yeah. she was a bad mom before that. I would still argue a bit redeemable before that. She did some, she did a pretty bad things throughout there. But in, she, in, but in the the season with the cult, she actively chose to choose Polly over Betty. Yep. Because reasons. Know, yeah, because she's like, oh no, I had to go in the cult to save uh, to save Polly, and I willfully put you in the cult in the dangerous cult I knew was dangerous because I was sent there by, by the, FBI. the FBI because I wanted to get Polly back. And she for real gave away yeah. Betty's college fund. But just looking at this right now, there's clearly something going on here. And Hal is obviously... Well, so this is interesting. I I think there's a definite big chance that Hal is bad 1950s dad. You don't I, think he's up to nefarious? I, I'm not going to give it 100%. I'm going to give it like a 75 to 80% because... What follows up here is how is they're talking about sacrifice. Mm-hmm. He's like, you don't know what she sacrificed. Now, once again, he could be manipulated. I'm not going to say 100%. I still think there is a chance that they're setting up Hal as a red, as a red herring because they know the audience knows he's a serial killer in like... The other time. I just think it's suspicious that he bursts in yeah. only when they're about to have the moment and he... Says he's been listening for a long, long time. I mean, he bursts in when it seems like Alice is going to tell her something. Yeah. So that could be that, like, Hal's abusive. But it could also be something else. I don't know. It's They did a good job of setting up something where I, where I still think there is questions there. And mm-hmm. I'm interested in seeing where that goes. I'm not saying it's it's going to be Hal. I'm not saying it's not going to be Hal. I, 
I think just because obviously we know Hal's a serial killer and in the future and this show in this season has been just returning back to the yeah. way things were. Uh, I, I don't think he's a serial killer. I just think oh, he's no, think like he's a, a really bad dude. Oh, yeah, he's no. He's like I, broken Alice emotionally and physically. Yeah, no. I think he's 1950s classic yeah. bad dad. Like uh, Because there's a reason that he waited until – he says he's been listening to the entire conversation. Yeah. And he's been listening to enough of it that he picked his moment uh, when uh, Alice was about to say something. It, it's interesting because I honestly think because he was listening to the entire conversation, that puts a little bit more points in his favor because he was waiting – when it seems like Alice was at her most vulnerable, he didn't he didn't cut it off immediately. Maybe he was waiting to be like, oh nope. Uh oh, she's gonna reveal my secrets. Well, I wonder if it's gonna reveal Alice's secrets. Do you think her secret is Charles again? I, I mean, that's like if we're if we're gonna do the argument that they keep on going back to the same well. It's Charles. Charles is also the same well. It could be Hal, it could be Charles. There's a lot of things that they could just do again because that is what they do. But, but that I, would also justify why Alice is so obsessed with sex. Yeah, like there is definitely something there. It's just the sacrifice line and the fact that they had Betty key on to it because mm-hmm. what because when they say sacrifice they don't have they if you're based on the assumption that every writer makes a choice for a decision she says sacrifice and that is the word betty cues on to because betty is like what did you sacrifice i want you to tell me like instead of like alluding around it yeah what did she sacrifice and then how's like go to bed so like that is what makes me suspect that there's potentially something on here's the thing it could also be both it could also be nothing. <laughs> yeah. This is Riverdale. Yeah. So um, the next morning, Betty comes downstairs and she tries again to be like, no, seriously, we need to talk. And Betty's like, And hey, Alice. Alice is like, no, you know everything. You don't need a mother anymore. So I'm not your mother. How many times has Alice done this? Um, yeah. I mean, only once to this Betty, but. I do love how in this scene we will have two groups of parents just being like, you're not my child anymore. Uh, and it hits differently because they are 25 in a 16-year-old <laughs> situation. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, functionally, what is Alice going to do other than not make her dinner? Meals. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Alice sucks. You, you can't, as a parent, just be like, well, guess what? I'm just not your parent anymore. Well, especially because she's like, I've done everything for you. And I'm, again, like we just talked about, Alice has actually done Nothing. Yeah, like, yeah, yes. You, I'm sure someone out there will be like, well, she raised her and she gave her a house to live in. I'm like, yeah. but She like, was a parent. Yeah, she's a parent. That's her responsibility with a child. Like, <laughs> that doesn't mean that the child can't be, you know, isn't their own human being. And uh, Betty is only acting out because Alice keeps foisting Betty off onto other people. Yeah, yeah, because Alice will not tell Betty what actually is going on. Uh, this is why I said, like, you know, they kind of use this opportunity to take a second shot at some characters. They're landing it better with Alice. It is uh, better. I just wish I hadn't watched wish... six other seasons of the same No, yeah. Nonsense. No, that, that will always exist. Uh, Reggie is waiting for Veronica, but she's too busy. She's a famous businesswoman now, and everyone loves her 4D I, idea. I think the – I think – that they might be going toward the idea of Veronica. I don't I don't think she'll end the series alone, but I think she'll have an arc in the middle because they're doing a very good job of showing that, yeah, Veronica uses relationships as a way to fill time. Oh, yeah. And when, when she's she, busy, she doesn't see She's them. not interested. She doesn't, she doesn't need them as much. Like, she's a little bit sad when she learns that Reggie's left later. He did but, like, leave for flowers. But, hey, you, you have – you 
you this is the way you treat people but like good for reggie too because yeah. i don't know the night that 2027 reggie would have left he would have stayed there to yell i, mean, I think i mean it would depend uh i yes because she's on the phone with once again that peter roth guy because the riverdale story hit the front page of the hollywood variety and he loves her 40 idea and he's already got the movie east of eden on the way to her <laughs> Yeah. Which she's not going to do 4D because Steinbeck does not lean itself lean <laughs> itself to 4D. Yeah, no. But, like, that's what I mean by, yeah, her getting back at her parents was the, just as much as showing, like, yeah, our theater does make money. But don't worry because her parents are going to get back at her. Remember when they said they were going to cut her – they said they were going to cut her off? Now they actually cut her off. Yeah. Okay, this cannot be legal. I mean – You wh- cannot lock a 16-year-old – out of their home and refuse to provi- provide them money for food. I don't know what child services was like in the 1950s. Well, and Veronica's not going to call child services. She's just going to while and jile yeah. to get back at her parents. If I if if I had to make an art, if I had to make an assumption just based on like basic like knowledge of the 1950s, I would think that potentially at that time they did just see kids as property of the parents and the parents can do essentially whatever they want because that is their property. I don't think so. I don't think you can lock your child out of where they live and refuse to provide them food because those are like basic essentials that are held up under like any sort of law. Yeah, but like – I don't – I do not believe that it – even though kids are parents' property, I do not believe that in the 1950s they had carte blanche not to feed and house their children. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know because that's like private thing. And this, is, this was during a time where there was a lot of like, well, what happens in the in the household is not the business of the government. No. Anyway, so Veronica's going to go live in the Babylonium. Uh, and that's going to like end those storylines. And so we can just cut back to Jughead. Who has finally finished all the books. He's like, hey. And he says actually a line that I quite enjoy um, he talks about time passes and he says, I know his recurring themes. Once again, he says it as if these themes were the premise of the other storylines. They're not. They nope. are not. No, nope. uh, those storylines are about parents <laughs> abandoning their children. But he says, um, time passes and I think I'm not done mourning, but I am done wallowing. And I'm like, that is a excellent way to describe the process of grieving someone. Because you may never be done mourning them. You just because you are not wallowing over them anymore doesn't mean that you are like you've forgotten them. Yeah. So I think that's quite nice. Um, and then this is followed up by Sheriff Keller arriving to recruit Jughead like he's Nick Fury <laughs> recruiting the Avengers. To because they haven't closed the case of the suicide yet. They clearly mean okay. Which th- is an insane sentence. Oh, this hits me with the same feeling of when uh, Cheryl was like, I killed Jason Blossom. There's clearly a loss of happening off screen. Like, they p- found another clue. Maybe something. Maybe he left a letter for Jughead. Right. Be- but him ar- just arriving saying, Jughead, we need your help to solve the case. <laughs> it's, it's like, that's probably not what it is. It's probably like, yeah, he left a letter for yeah, Jughead. We, we have a question for you. So, yeah, yeah, that's really what it is. Hey, but it would be less impactful if he walked in and said, Jughead. There was an idea long ago <laughs> of getting of getting remarkable people together. Anyway, we have a question for you. Uh, 
I know. Yes, Kevin. Those episodes, you find yourself a CW moment. Did I find a CW moment? Did I find a moment where Logic just, like, couldn't find a movie to put on their movie theater, so they traveled forward in time and uh, brought one back from the future? I did. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but when Veronica had to give everyone their refunds. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so Reggie is the last person in line to get the refund, yeah. which he never gets because Reggie's a good sweet oh, boy. Oh, yeah. I don't think – I think he was actually just waiting for everyone to fill out rather than going up for his refund. But the last person who actually gets a refund is a full-grown man. <laughs> yeah. They had so many teen extras on that set, but – teen extras, yeah. quotation marks. But they chose to – Hey, sometimes... He looks like he's like 40. Sometimes grown men also want to watch a James Dean double feature. He was very popular. And I'm sure I just feel like that grown man should not be asking for a refund. <laughs> hey, you don't know what his situation is. He can is. get his movie ticket back. Like a refund on the movie ticket for sure. Uh, maybe he got. Maybe that's what, what he was getting. Maybe Because maybe he actually paid for a movie ticket. She does hand him a bill. Yeah. So, I mean, I, if, if, yeah, if he's a full-grown adult, I... Doubt he got a free ticket. I I think he probably was one of the people who went to a double feature and bought a ticket for the movie. I, I just think it's wild that, like, that's the extra they used. Yeah, yeah. Well. Because <laughs> I, I know they have so many people playing teens. Yeah. Anyway, maybe he's not a full-grown man. <laughs> maybe he has that Benjamin Button disease. Well, maybe he's not supposed to be a full-grown man in the premise of the show, I guess. <laughs> Kevin, did you find a CW moment? Yeah, I think there's a lot. There in is this a lot. One. Uh, I, I want to, I because we did talk about, it, I do want to point out. At one point, Fangs is a crazy walk off screen, an insane walk off screen. I'll show you after this. Is done. Fangs is insane in this episode. Yeah, he throws he throws a full box of popcorn at Veronica. He's having a time. Well, and like the faces, like the actor must have been having such a fun filming because he's always like mugging for things and like making these dumb, yeah. dumb faces. I mean, as I said, I'll 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 show you the thing. Um, I kind of want to almost give to the breaking and entering where they like they had to have Betty say breaking and entering like we wouldn't get it like we get what she does but no i gotta give it to the scene where archie and reggie um are uh quitting the job explaining <laughs> that they can't do a regular job um and veronica's trying to bargain with them and like they truly they, she doesn't like understand that they're not interested yeah they truly but are not going to do from the job. all i could tell the reason this part of the scene existed and it wasn't just like reggie showing up being like hey so like you ready for that date now is because they wanted to do balls jokes so many this, balls jokes. This, the ratio of <laughs> the amount of <laughs> balls per minute in this one scene as Veronica is trying to bargain with them. Like this, this, this scene should have been backed up with some like weird, like wacky, like tune. And she's just like, hey, you, know, you would think other people don't want your balls. There's people all over town who will you where you will get those balls and your your balls are nothing special. <laughs> like what is happening here? And like she's unable to understand. Like, I guess you could argue it's showing that Veronica's too business minded. But she like can't understand these people are like, no, I, it's not my, we're not trying to bargain with you. It's like, well, Let's talk about your balls a bit more. I mean, I will say what I did kind of like about this episode <laughs> is I think this is the first time that Veronica has ever been shown to be bad at business. Yeah. Like, she does work it out in the end, not from her own idea. No, no. Jughead gives her that idea. Yeah, getting someone to help her was literally all we needed. I, I just wanted to be like she doesn't, like, out of nowhere come up with the perfect plan based on nothing that's going on. Well, and, like, past Veronica, teenage Veronica in 2020, yeah. uh, 2017. Yeah. Would have just been good at business. So I appreciate that they've given us, like, this difference. Yeah. 
I would have liked take on the character. I would have liked if her struggle was a bit less connected to like someone is actively sabotaging her and more connected to the fact that like yeah, you're running a small theater. Like like I, I would like. Obviously, they do need to tie in her parents, but that's why I'm willing to suspect that some of those uh, other studios have, just don't just, care. Just don't care because I want because yeah. I want to be the like yeah no she struggles also because it's hard to do the things you do and not because your parents are wild schemers who want to destroy your Their life. child. I agree. If you think Veronica is flawed, now in a fun way, let us know on the social media. It's Podcast MOA, Podcast MOA at Instagram, at Twitter, and at gmail.com. And we continue to exist, so give us your ratings, reviews, and subscriptions on Apple Podcast or your podcaster of choice. Yes, and my, and, uh, my book's available at kevinweirbooks.com, and we have a very exciting announcement for anybody who is in the Calgary area, because it's about a month out now. We're in a play! Yes, if you like teen dramas, specifically teen <laughs> dramas that are bad if you like riverdale <laughs> you will like our play yeah uh so we're doing riverona a uh teen drama satire of based on romeo and juliet uh we're doing that at the common ground festival on june 24th and 28th correct uh the tickets are on sale now at the pumphousetheater.ca correct website. uh and you can you can come see a show that was uh, written by a group that we are in, uh, put on by Full Circle Theater. Yeah, so if you want more information, feel free feel free to check out Full Circle Theater on Instagram. I think we're Full Cirque Theater on Instagram, but maybe it's Full Circle. <laughs> Try both of them. Sure Look for the one that says Riverona. I'm almost certain you're Full Circle Theater, but hey, that's something that we can figure out for next episode. We're Full Cirque somewhere. <laughs> it might be Twitter. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that is uh, it's going live. It's a, it's it is a one act show that is part of the Full Circle Theater, or part of the Common Ground Festival. So there's a bunch of other uh, local shows, uh, one act shows going on. So you get a you get a lot of content with one ticket. Yeah, it's a full meal deal. And if you want to laugh, if you want to see me hold a sword, if you want to see Kevin hold a fake cigarette, come see our show. And uh, <laughs> do not clarify if your sword was real or fake or not. Uh, but we will see you all next week. Why does Sheriff Keller need Jughead's help to solve the case? What is Alice's sacrifice? How many more balls does Veronica need? For answers to all this and more, join us next week on Mystery Outsiders and Abs. A teen drama fan cast?